Hi, this is Matt Shaw, pastor at City Lift Church. If you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love for you to come visit us on a Sunday sometime or join us online, citylift.church. We hope today's message fills you with courage and helps you on your spiritual journey. We exist just to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Morning, everybody. How is everyone this Palm Sunday? Hey, guys, let's pray real quick, and let's jump into Luke chapter 23 uh, today. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, as we open up Luke 23 today, as we talk about the suffering and the crucifixion and, the, and just everything that your son went through for us, uh, Father, open this passage to our hearts and our heads today. God, may we be transformed. Uh, we are here today to know you better to learn how to live and to please you and to uh, build your kingdom. And so, Father, today, unleash the word inside of us, and may we grow and be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Why don't you go ahead and get your Bibles out this morning? We're going to Luke chapter 23. As you're turning there, look at your neighbor real quick and be like, hey, why don't you take me out to lunch afterwards? We you got any plans? Like, you know, all right. All right, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, I'm going to paraphrase the, the first portion, just for time's sake, and, uh, and then we're going to read together kind of the, the later portion of Luke 23, starting in verse 26. Luke 23 is, is obviously one of the most powerful passages in, in the Bible. The cross of Jesus, the crucifixion, what he went through for us. This is the keystone. This is the cornerstone of Christianity. There is no Christianity without Christ. There's no newness of life without the suffering of the cross. Um, and so, so much is happening in this passage of Scripture, and obviously I won't be able to unpackage all of it today, but we're going to hit some of those, those highlights. Um, and, uh, you know, the Bible says that God literally sent His Son into the world to die for us. This is God's great plan. And you see people working, you see uh, people being people, you see people being evil, you see them being selfish, but yet through all of it you see the incredible mighty hand of God working His great purpose in the salvation and the rescue of humankind. And so, so much of that is seen literally in this passage, in this text here today. Now, our passage begins with Pilate and Herod. It introduces two, two figures. And Pilate was the governor of Judea, and uh, he was the governor for about 10 years. And during his early reign, he was constantly dealing with riots. And so he's got lots of local pressure to keep people like, you know, kind of under the Roman rule and keep it at peace and keep the riots down. And so here now you have the Pharisees and they bring Jesus to him, right? And they're creating what? A riot. And they demand that, that he be put to death. And Pilate begins to question him, right? And he says this, he says, I find no fault in him which is really an interesting kind of and a powerful thing. We as believers, we believe that Jesus lived a sinless life, right? The Bible says he lived a sinless life. And so here's Pilate saying, hey, I don't see anything wrong. There's nothing in him that is deserving of punishment or deserving of death. Uh, he's innocent, right? And yet the crowd kind of keeps pressing him. And, th and then the Bible introduces this figure, Herod, again, right? And so there was Herod the Great, and that was who was after Jesus when he was a baby. So if you remember the Christmas story, right, he's, he wants to kill all the boys in Bethlehem two years old and un under, and that was Herod the Great. Here you have Herod Antipas, his son, and now he's questioning Jesus. This is the one who killed John the Baptist. So could you imagine being questioned by the person that was responsible for the, you know, the murder and the death of your cousin? So this is just the emotion going on in Christ 
and, and what he's facing, the mockery, the questioning, uh, knowing that he's innocent, but they don't want to take the blame, but they don't want the riots. And so, you know, they're willing to try to play this game of back and forth. And so, so he's before Herod, and, and then Herod, you know, he makes fun of him, but he's like, there's nothing wrong with him, right? There's nothing deserving of death. And he goes back to Pilate, right? So for a lot of times throughout the ages, a lot of people looked at the Gospels and they said, oh, Pilate's not real. Who is this figure? We, we don't see any other record for him. And uh, years ago, I had a chance to go to Israel, but they discovered this stone. I'm going to show it up for you really quick here because it's so fascinating. And this is a dedication stone. And on this stone is the name Pontius Pilate. And so we actually have archaeological evidence that proves Pontius Pilate was a real person in history, which adds so much weight to the gospel story. Hit the next slide for me because it kind of explains that the inscription of it, um, and, and it literally mentions it at the time of Christ, and it's just this incredible like evidence from, from history that we get. But Herod sends him back to Pontius Pilate, right? And he goes back, and Pilate again says, listen, there's nothing wrong. And what is Pilate trying to do? But eventually he gives in to the crowd and he's trying to save face. He's trying to keep the crowds at peace. He's trying to not create a riot. And so he's willing to condemn an innocent man to save his own career. Herod also doesn't want anything to do with it because he just kind of wants to keep the peace. He's not willing to stand up for Jesus and stop it because he just, you know, he doesn't want the problem. What, what I found so interesting is I did some extra study this week is both Pilate and Herod within a few years of this moment get removed by Caesar. Herod spends the rest of his life in exile in Gaul, which is an area of France. And Pontius Pilate is also removed for another riot. Isn't it interesting the Bible says that if a man is willing to lose his life for the sake of Christ, he'll find it. But if you try to gain your life, you lose it. And so in both cases, these rulers here are making fun of the one and true king, right? He doesn't look like a lot, but they're out of power. And how many of you know Jesus is in power? There's this beautiful quote from Calvin Miller I want to read. And he said, it's difficult to look at a naked, beaten man and see anything kingly about him. How odd that in the fullness of time, Herod would be remembered as a tyrant and the naked, beaten man he studied would rule the hearts of millions. So as, as he goes back to Pilate, I want to highlight this portion. This is verse 16. So let's look at verse 16, and then we're going to dive in and, and read a little bit more together. Pilate says, listen, guys, I don't want to put him to death yet but I'm going to chastise him. I'm going to whip him. I'm going to beat him. I'm going to torture him. That's basically what it means. He goes, and then we're going to release him. Okay. So they're in this back and forth game. Um, but there's so much, we read that one verse and we're like, okay, like what did he, you know, like, what does that mean? What did he go through? And when I was in Israel, I had a chance to go, you know, where they were at in Pilate's court there. There's a place underneath that building. And this is where they kept the prisoners and this, this is where they would beat and whip and torture prisoners. And so these are actually the stones. This is actually the prison that Jesus would have experienced 2,000 years ago. And I have to be honest, in my entire trip in Israel, I'm a pretty emotionally, like, I'm not easily moved emotionally, okay? Like, it could be my German-English upbringing. Like, we just don't get very emotional about a lot of things. And I'm pretty chill versus my wife, who's Italian, and everything is very exciting, right? Like, everything is emotional. I've been to parties at her family, and, and after, like, watching the cousins argue, I was like, oh, my God, if I argued like that with my cousin, we wouldn't talk for 30 years. Like, it's a very cultural difference. And five minutes later, they're kissing and hugging and having wine and, you know, spaghetti. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what's happening. Like, you know, but so I'm really chill. But I got there. And man, it like hit me. And I got so emotional. I got so emotional. And I, I guess it was just the realness and the rawness. And one of the things that got me was this little stone. And you can see that it's etched out. It's, it's almost like a demented Monopoly game, if I could kind of modernly translate that. And this is a game that they etched in stone. And they would roll the dice. 
And whatever the dice landed on, that is what they would do to the prisoner. And so if they rolled the dice and it was like pull the prisoner's beard out, they would pull their beard out. If it was punch them in the face, they would punch them in the face. If it was whip them, they would whip them. And so the soldiers would play this game, and then whatever it landed on is what they would ensue and, and begin to do to the prisoner. And so when the Bible talks about Jesus' beard was you know, ripped out, and, and they placed a crown of thorns on his head, and they're mocking him, right? And they, they put the robe on him, and they're, and they're spitting on him and punching him in the face. He is literally being tortured during this time. And so we read just one little line of scripture, but man, these moments for Jesus would have been the worst moments of someone's life. And, and the way that they would whip people back then, the Roman soldiers would often put pieces of glass and nails and, and sometimes stones inside and tie it into the whip. And so when they would whip someone, it was so severe that it would literally rip out tissue and muscles and sometimes organs and bones would be exposed because the, the beating was so bad. And you can kind of see evidence of this in Scripture because Jesus, right, he can't even carry his own cross. It gets so bad for him that he can't even carry his cross and, and it, because his back was so severely beaten. In ancient times, they actually called this the living death. And so when people would go through a whipping, it was so severe. It did so much damage to the muscles in your back that you could no longer work. And so even though you were alive, men and women after getting beaten could not work anymore. And so they would often you know, just live in extreme poverty because they, they couldn't physically use their back. And so we look at this, but what he went through was utterly, utterly terrible. In Isaiah 53, we actually get a messianic prophecy about this moment. And this is hundreds of years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah, is writing by the Spirit of God. And he talks about this moment. I want to read it real quick uh, for us. Verse 3, it says, Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. He was, look at this, wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities or our sins. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of all of us. Guys, we so often forget what Jesus went through so you and I could be whole. So we could have peace and we could have wholeness. Let's go to verse 26 now. I'd like to read together, if that's okay. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, open them up in the Bible app or whatever. And this is titled, A King on a Cross. Verse 26, now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of people followed him. And the women who were also mourned and lamented him. And Jesus looks at him in the next few verses, and he, he's basically saying, hey, like, don't cry for me, cry for yourself. Scholars think he was either prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem in this time, right, which happened in 70 AD. The Roman army came back in and destroyed the temple, destroyed the city, and thousands of people were killed. It was a terrible, terrible time. He might have been talking about that. He could have been talking about the end times, or it could be kind of a dual prophetic word. It could be both. I'm not quite sure. So, But in, in verse 32, it goes on. It says, there were other criminals as well that had led with him to be put to death. When they'd come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They divided his garments and cast lots. You know, I mentioned this last week, but it's verses like this that really make me believe the Bible. Because as a human being, if somebody's murdering you and they're laughing at you, how hard is it to love them in that moment? Almost humanly impossible. I mean, this is going beyond human ability right now. 
the ability of Jesus to look at the people that are nailing him and laughing at him and making fun of him and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Ah, that's where I would have called it. I would have liked God, bring the lightning, bring the angels. It's not worth it. No one's worth this. And yet he does this. I, again, it's so easy for us to go day to day, week to week, and forget the dedication that God has to get to your heart. He didn't pay 20 bucks for you, man. He gave his life for you. You know what I found? If Jesus doesn't change your heart, no amount of money ever will. It just won't. There is no other act God can do that can really warm the human heart like the cross. And Easter is fun. It's going to be a party. We're going to go crazy. But you can't have Easter without the cross. You can't have newness of life without the payment of sins. And the cross is the great intersection of, of justice and mercy. Right? It is the intersection of the brokenness of man and the beauty of God and the willingness of God's heart to get to us. It's just, it's a lot. I don't know, it's a lot. It's hard to read it and not get moved every time. In verse 35, it said, The people stood looking, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, for if he's the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. They wrote an inscription, the Bible says, in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged by him blasphemed him, saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But you talk about a deathbed conversion, guys. I mean, just minutes, hours away from his own life, leaving him, and here he reaches out to God. And I love this. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. You know, the Bible says that God sent Jesus into the world not to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. I think the beauty here is like he, on his last moments, he's reaching out to God, and God doesn't say, no, it's too late for you, bro. Like, forget it. It's, you've already been caught. It's, it's over. I don't want you. What does he say? He goes, thank you. You know, even in these last minutes of your life, you've reached out. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. How many of you know that God wants to rescue people? Jesus is not here to judge people. He's not here to put them down. He's not here to condemn them. He's here to rescue them and to save them and reach them and help them. So maybe you got, you know, a teenager you're praying for. Maybe you got a lost loved one. Keep on praying. They may not get it to the final minutes of their life, but yo, Let's keep on, keep on praying for him because if God can do it for him, I think God can do it for anybody. Man, I tell you, my mom argued me in the faith for four years. I was gone. I wanted nothing to do with this thing at all, and she loved me. And I knew my mom was mad at me, but I also knew she loved me, right? Like, come on, there's something there, and I just gave in finally. Verse 44, now it was about the sixth hour. There was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened. The veil of the temple was torn in two. Let me just stop right there because there's so much just in that little thing. The temple is where the presence of God was at. It was the Holy of Holies. And God used to live in a building, and his presence was in that building. But now that the temple is torn because of Jesus, when people receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves in, and the presence of God has gone from building to bodies. And God lives inside of us. The Bible says your body is the temple of God. God has taken residence, not in a building, but in you and I. And, and Jesus said, whenever two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of the crowd. So guys, when we get together and we begin to worship and you experience the presence of God, let's not take that, let's not take that for granted. Jesus had to die so we could have access to the presence of God. 
So that average people, right, that Gentiles, that people that had sinned, we don't have to go to a building. We were not behind a curtain anymore. God has been unleashed on people. You know, the first time I heard that, I thought, oh, my God, I don't want to take your presence for granted anymore. The fact that you listen to me, that I can pray, that your presence is there, that you hear me, this is because of Christ. When God talks back to you and he answers prayers and you, and you hear his voice and you're experiencing his presence, let's not forget Jesus paved the way. Amen. We take for granted what it is when an incredible price has been paid for us. Let me go on. Verse 46, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And, and honestly, guys, in that moment, the plan of God was fulfilled. The plan of God was fulfilled in his life. God had his perfect sacrifice, live a perfect life, die in our place. He perfectly obedient. He never sinned. I mean, imagine that, right? The Bible says the rest of us all have fallen short of the glory of God. And now in Christ, when God looks at me, he no longer sees my sin, my past, my mistakes. He sees Jesus. And through Jesus and through the cross, we become the righteousness of God in Christ. Pastor Matt, I'm a believer, but I'm struggling with shame. Hey, hide yourself in Christ, because when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your past. He sees Jesus. What a thought. Pastor Matt, I'm a believer here, but I'm struggling with guilt. I'm struggling with judgment. I'm struggling, you know, with this. I'm struggling with that. Hey, let's surrender, because when God sees us, he sees Jesus. Jesus did something for you and I that we could never do for ourselves. Amen. I want to read a couple of verses as I wind down this, and we're going to receive communion together. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In 1 John 1, 7 through 9, I love this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Pastor Matt, how do I get free from this thing? We go to Jesus because his blood cleanses us from all sin. There is no guilt, no condemnation. There's not even a struggle in Jesus because he did all the heavy lifting. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for Jesus today. Would you guys stand with me real quick? We're going to receive communion together in the next five to 10 minutes, but I wanted to end our time together I wanted to create space so we could participate in communion together because next week is going to be fun. It's Easter. It's victory. It's new life. It's resurrection. Uh, but this one, as we look at Luke 23, this is, this is the sacrifice. This is the struggle. We don't have a high priest that's so far ahead of us and above us and doesn't understand us. No, right? God had him come, and he lived, and he was tempted, and he struggled, and he was made fun of right? He was misunderstood. He, he lived like a human being. And that is the beauty of this moment. This, this is not God like, hey, I can't relate to you. Jesus is God relating to us and then taking our place, dying for us. So there might be an Easter, that there might be a great exchange, that he could deal with all of your sin, all of your mistakes, all of the guilt, all the shame, right? And, and, and literally, all of that sin goes to Christ on a cross. And as that blood is spilled, as that blood is poured out, there's the forgiveness of all of my sins. 
And, and for some of you, that's like, yo, pastor, that's just so hard to grab. Like, I, I need to feel bad, and I need to feel shame, and I need to struggle. And I'm like, no, you don't. He did that so you and I don't have to. He struggled, and he bled, and he suffered so that the power of God could come to us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he would apply the blood of Jesus and the work of the cross to our life. And that now the Holy Spirit would come in and you and I experience newness of life in God. Pastor, how do I, how do I get through the shame? We remember what Jesus did. Pastor, how do I deal with the guilt? We remember what Jesus did. Pastor, how do I handle the devil when he brings up my past? We remember what Jesus did. Nah, man, he took everything that's wrong about me and he nailed it to the cross. And because of him, I'm new, I'm born again, I'm free, I'm forgiven. A way has been made, a veil has been torn, and I can start again. I'm fresh, I'm clean, I'm new, and I have life. Guys, I don't know. If that doesn't move you, nothing will. Nothing will. As I get older, I become more and more grateful for Jesus. I worry less about me, and I just have more gratitude for Him. And today, if you're in Christ, you're hidden in Him. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're the newness of God in Christ. Your sins are removed. The judgment is gone. The goodness rests on your life. The Holy Spirit is inside, and He's breathing, and He's moving, and He's making new life today. With that heart today, let's participate in communion. Amen. Let's receive the broken body for our wholeness. Let's receive the shed blood for the forgiveness of sins and newness of life. Everybody together, let's go ahead and take the wafer out and partake right now. together. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for coming. Thank you for the willingness to complete the work of the Father. Thank you that you didn't give up, that you didn't quit on us. And so many of us here would probably have a similar testimony. We were so stubborn. We were so mean. We we're so greedy or so lustful or so hate-filled, but your grace and your goodness kept chasing us. You were patient with us. You pursued us. When we mocked you, you asked the Father to forgive us, and you kept warming our hearts to this gospel. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for not giving up on us. Thank you, Lord, for not giving up on South Florida. Father, we pray for next week we pray for Easter we pray for those that are going to come and hear the gospel we pray for our streets in this city God that your love would go out God we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit that people would be reminded of your goodness and they could experience your love and your forgiveness and your grace God we, we thank you that you are the head 
of the church and you are leading our church and you're leading the church of South Florida onward to greater things. God, we thank you for moving in our lives and moving in our midst and moving in our city. God, we just ask you in the years to come that you would do so much work that we would all sit back and be amazed and say only God could accomplish this motion. God, today we stand in gratitude. We stand in awe. We stand cleansed and forgiven and new. And we didn't get there on our own strength. We didn't get there on our own works, Father. We got here because of what you did, what your son did in Luke 23 on this cross. And Lord, we are so, so thankful. Right now, just for 30 seconds, in your own way, with your hands lifted, maybe your eyes closed, would you just thank Jesus? In your own way, thank him for his work and the cross and the abuse he took so we could be made whole. Just pour your love on him, church, for 20 seconds. Just, just pour your love on him. Just say, God, thank you. Come on, I was, I was stubborn. I was crazy. I was reckless, but you're good. Thank you. If you feel like you need a heart adjustment today, church, just say, God, change my heart. Adjust my heart. Get it back in love. Get it, get it back right with you. God, I, I need your forgiveness. I need the newness. Help me. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. Share with a few friends. Thanks for helping us make Jesus famous right here in South Florida. Again, if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love to see you sometime. Or as always, visit us online, citylift.church. Have an amazing week.